I'm Alexis Taylor from Hot Chip. And my name's Al. I'm also from Hot Chip. We're in Frederick Strager's apartment in Stockholm. I'm yeah. looking at um, a Neu poster just beyond Al's blonde hair. That's and right. And some uh, nice pastries in front of us. I'm eating one of the pastries. I'm trying not to... Uh, I'm trying not to let, let you hear too much of my chomping. So I'm going to do that a little bit more off mic. But you can imagine me eating and enjoying uh, a cinnamon uh, pastry. It's very nice. You're so welcome here. Thank you. I uh, I think that Sweden was one of the first countries you went to, right? That's when, right, yeah. When you started. Yeah, we played um, maybe 2004. Well, if we both said it at the same time, then it probably was. Um, Debaser? Yeah. Accelerator. Debaser. Yeah, the Accelerator the Festival. Yeah. Right. But it was just, you know, at the club, you know, so... Um, Somebody called Robin, I think, who, who booked us. Yeah, um, he took a chance on us. It was our first ever uh, gig in a, in a foreign land. I, I was handed a f- glass of flaming Sambuca, That's which right. I dropped on the floor, set fire to the floor. <laughs> well, the club. W- was it during the show? This was after the, after show. the show. The detail of that was that we were... <laughs> Alexis had never had a flaming Sambuca before, and it was we had it just like, hey man, it's a flaming Sambuca. And he's like, okay, what do I do? It's like, you put it out with your hand. And, you know, you're supposed to kind of like, you know, <laughs> like clap your hand over the top to stop the flames. But he, Alex just like held it, his hand over the top and then his hand got hot and then yeah, it went on the floor. And uh, yeah, well, it, 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 there wasn't any further damage. But, um, Except but to was, my reputation. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought you were supposed to light it in your mouth. That, that, might, that, be, right? that yeah, might be pour, a Swedish pour into your mouth and then that you sounds a, crazy. A that sounds crazy, Frederick. You, you would do that. I've done that. It's, really? It's really easy, actually. You know, it's okay. Not, and it looks. You look like Gene Simmons. You feel like Gene Simmons. <laughs> um, well, I, mean, I get we'll a lot of Gene Simmons time. comparisons already without the flaming yeah, sambuca. So yeah. For those who can't see us, that's yeah. true. Your seventh album is called "A Bath Full of Ecstasy." It, yeah. it kind of sounds like the, the most druggy title since Spaceman 3's taking drugs to make music to take drugs to. Oh, yeah. Uh, but maybe it shouldn't be interpreted that way. Well, it's a good comparison in a way, because although there's no further relationship between the records, the song A Bath Full of Ecstasy talks about, um, it says, come and take a bath in our ecstasy. I will wash away all of your fears you will see and that lyric sounds to me a bit like the lyric from spaceman 3 talking about it's so hot wash away all of your tears rather than fears so there is a bit of a lyrical similarity between that spaceman 3 track that i like and this and this song but the mood of the music is quite different and the album and the song aren't written specifically about drugs i've not taken any so I can't write from experience about drug taking, unlike Jason and Pete Kemba, who made a, a virtue of that for their career and records. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that you, you had never done ecstasy whatsoever. And then I, I, when I saw this title, I, I felt that, well, maybe I hope he's not going to get accused of uh, drug cultural appropriation, which, mm. which happened to Miley Cyrus. Oh, really? Did, did you hear this? about that? Oh, no, no because she, she put out this psychedelic pop album with Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips. Oh, yeah. And she mentions in an interview that she had never done acid. Yeah. And then someone writes an article about, you know, how dare you, Miley Cyrus, exploit 
this psychedelic culture that has been around since the 60s. Well, you know, if, if yeah. you don't do acid, you shouldn't sing about it. That's horrible. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that the, 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 the tripped out hippie would say, though, right? I mean, <laughs> but also, yeah, but it's, it would, it's, um, it's insane. It, yeah. would be, it would be hard to be accused of singing about ecstasy when you've not taken it if you're not singing about it. Yeah. yeah. Seeing as, I'm, know, seeing as I'm not singing about that form of ecstasy, I've got nothing to be He's got every accused right. of. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you could really have ownership of those kind of <laughs> scenes. That seems ridiculous to me. I, I'm not sure about I, that. I got more of a re- religious feeling from many of the songs because, you know, ecstasy can be this bliss that you find mm. in church as well. Well, that's, that's what it originally was, in fact. Um, yes. Especially on Melody of Love, when you have this sample from um, The Mighty Clouds of Joy, a gospel group. I wasn't aware of them yeah. before. Who, who are they? Um they're a gospel group that Joe has some records by and he sampled. I think he may have sampled them on other tracks too. He had one other track that he really enjoyed from that same record. Um, yeah, and then sort of sought out... Oh, he had a single and then, yeah, sought out the album and it had this kind of, yeah, section in it that sort of lent itself to, to the song, I think. Well, we don't claim any ownership over a sense of religiousness either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's true we're too. not entitled to <laughs> to sing um with religious any, any religion or none is welcome in the in the, in the broad church or non-church of hot chip but uh, how religious are you i'm not remotely religious yeah I but was, i'm yeah. interested in um i'm interested in other people's interest in religion yeah i also on a, on a binary scale of zero to one and zero on the religion front but again i'm very you know respectful of i don't know it was kind of a thing that i think about from time to time just sort of um i think when i was when i was younger i was sort of a bit more dismissive of um, religious thought but i've sort of mellowed as i get older i feel as though there's a kind of there's a religious mindset um that is kind of useful um especially thinking about climate change and things like that because you have to sort of train yourself to do these actions that don't really have like a direct they're not in themselves directly bad if you know what I mean, like, you know, sort of using a plastic bottle or something like that, or it's not causing damage sort of directly, but it's part of this greater thing that is causing damage to the planet or your carbon output, all this kind of stuff. And in a way, that's sort of quite similar to me as like the kind of idea of like sort of arbitrary, like sin or something like that. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, there's no particular reason why, you know, you have to sort of pray in the morning but you know it's, it seems to be good that you have to do that or those those kind of things i think it's sort of um it's quite um funny to see those parallels i think quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So we're listening to Prince's original uh, demo for the song Love Thy Will Be Done, which came out um, as a release by Martika, one of the people that he worked with in the, um, in the early 90s. Martika, she made a single called Toy Soldiers, right? Yes. Which was a massive hit. Yeah. So he he worked on that record with her, but I recently heard the Prince demo of this song for the first time. I'd always liked the song since hearing it as a, as a kid on the radio or on MTV, but hearing the the new newly released Prince vocal version of it, it's much more powerful and... Um, Affecting, it's really a, a, a straight-up kind of religious gospel song to tie in with what we've just been talking about. Um, it seemed like at that point in the late '80s, start of the '90s, he was exploring a, an interest in in religion more. He was writing for Mavis Staples, who was another gospel singer, and writing songs about God quite explicitly. And um, yeah, this I just found this song to be very, very powerful. It's quite epic feeling, and it's only three and a half minutes long, but it feels like you've you've um, been taken somewhere with him in, in his kind of religious fervour. I really enjoyed the video for Hungry Child, which was directed by um, Saman Kesh. Yes. Mm-hmm. And where you kind of, you know, it doesn't work the way an ordinary video would, because an ordinary video is basically made to promote the track. Yeah. <laughs> In this video, the, the song is something annoying. Yeah. That 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 a couple hear when they um, when they're together. Yeah. And they can't get the song out of their heads, and it's annoying even for the person listening, because you know it never stops until she breaks up with him. And you realize that, you know, the bliss that they're looking for is, is silence. Yeah. You know, 
that, that they were meant to break up. <laughs> this was like God telling them to to break up the relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting idea from Saman. Uh, Joe explained to him that he felt the song was about a kind of obsessional love. And so I think Saman wanted to explore that and take it in an interesting direction. And it appealed to us because even though we didn't know everything that would happen in the video, it was an interesting idea to have um, this kind of notion of like the Oliver Sacks book, Musicophilia, where, where it's uh, like being plagued by sound, being plagued by, mm. oh. by songs. And you have a song going around your head and you can't um, get rid of it. And not just the way that, you know, you can hear an Avicii track and not get it out of your no, head. Yeah, it's, you yeah, know, no, really it's, like you, you... Like it's a condition. It's a condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's... I think Joe had read that book and really enjoyed it. So it, it resonated with him. Um, but also it's just... Uh, it's just quite funny, I find, as a, as a video. And yeah, it's it's nice to... I, I find it interesting when people do something that is quite against the norm. So make a music video where you have to try hard to hear the track and you're following a story and you're intrigued by that story, at least in my case as a viewer, and wondering where we're going with it. But you're never really having the song thrust down your throat, as it were. And also th this couple, they, they hear the song constantly in, in their heads when they're together but when they meet other people they hear the song too yeah so it becomes annoying for the people that yeah. they meet that's a very good way to illustrate how you know like a toxic relationship can make other people feel unhappy as well yeah and i mean like it was just that thing of sort of love as a destructive force as well as a kind of benevolent force as well and uh yeah I suppose, uh, yeah, the music was the was the metaphors to which he sort of explores that, but uh, but that makes it, yeah, like that makes it sound much more sort of clever, clever than it than it is. It's just a, it's kind of like it was the main thing is that, that comes across to me is that it's quite a funny, light-hearted sort of thing. Also, I, I like the idea of a video which you watch on the internet about not being able to hear the music properly. It that reminds me of how most people listen to music now, which is through a computer, but being distracted by other things on the computer or their phone at all times and never really fully hearing the track. I'm not saying nobody hears music, but we're listening. We're listening often with multiple distractions and other things going on. It just amused me that there's a little bit of that about it too, that if anyone did want to hear the track, <laughs> it's being pushed into the background. Uh, Alexis, do you still come up with the melodies when you dream yeah sometimes certainly not not every night that i go to sleep but um i maybe it's because it's quite a mysterious way for music to come about but i get more excited about song ideas that emerge from dreaming than ones when i'm awake so if i just about wake up from a dream and there's a melody i, I often want to try and rouse myself even though i'm super tired and go and record a little demo of of that vocal idea or work out what chords might go with it and it's led to it's led to songs i i've really enjoyed i noticed that i would never come up with any new ideas in my sleep when we're on tour when we're playing the same kind of set most nights but when we're making an album and we're not on tour and 
the focus of your mind is on trying to generate new ideas, it seems at that point, even when asleep, new new things come along sometimes. The Aphex Twin was talking about a lot about that, you know, songwriting technique in, in the early 90s. Yeah. He, yeah he, I, I think he even claimed that he wrote all his songs he based claimed on that he dreams. Wrote, he claimed that he wrote Selected Ambient Works 2 in a kind of like semi-dream yeah, state. L- l- lucid dreaming, right? Lucid that's dreaming, the, yeah, yeah. The, but I mean, you know, you can't right. always believe what that guy says. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who says that he's capable of lucid dreaming, that he can, you know, the thing there is that yeah. you, if you're aware that you're dreaming... yeah. The technique then apparently it's like, it's like is a movie to like, or a computer uh, game. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you have to try and train yourself to look at your own hands. Apparently, is one oh. is one technique. So if you when you're in your if you're aware that you're dreaming, it's um it's like a way of kind of like centering your kind of consciousness that you try and look look down at your own hands or imagine your own hands, and then it gives you a degree of control over what's going on. My dreams are so boring that I, I would never <laughs> try that. <laughs> I, I don't tend to dream that many dreams these days or remember remember dreams that are not just a bit of a melody or something so i don't have the kind of the more standard dreams i used to have where there's a scenario playing out like it's Mm. you know something visual i don't the songs song ideas don't tend to come from something where the song was featuring in a dream with a a kind of narrative it's more that just wake up and, and something's, something's been going on. Head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always want to make sure it's not somebody else's tune that already existed, you know? Yeah. Because you may just be thinking you're dreaming a new tune, but it's just <laughs> something you heard on the radio. Yeah, it's a Kraftwerk tune. Yeah, that's yeah. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's a Kraftwerk tune. Yeah. Yeah, well, well Coldplay got away with it. You'll get your German lawyers after you. <laughs> yeah. So this is um, trees, grass, and stone. Yeah, Treadgrass Oxtenar. Treadgrass Oxtenar. Um, with their cover, it's like a live version of the Rolling Stones song, "The Last Time," and it's it's very um, kind of loud, rambunctious, repetitive version, which I love. This is the, the live version. The, the album version is 17 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were this progressive rock band in Sweden. So hang on a minute. They, they do a, a, a live version that's shorter than the <laughs> recorded version. That's unheard of. Well, the, the live version is nine minutes, but the, the recorded <laughs> version is, uh, you know, they might have like brought two tracks together on the mm. album for oh, some okay. reason, but yeah. it, it says 17 or 18 minutes on, on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, they, they definitely liked to and still like to they're still going now um do very long extended jams have you Uh, seen them live i did see them at cafe oto in london a couple of years ago um i think that some i I don't know the full lineup and history of the group so well but i know that some members are no longer alive so it wasn't the exact original band i saw but they were they were still fantastic a little bit mellower 
than they sounded back then. Um, but yeah, a friend of ours called Will Pym put that track on a compilation for me when we were touring in, in the States, and I then tried to, to find other records by them and some of the other offshoot projects. Parson Sound or Pearson Sound, um, different... Yeah, but th that's the singer Buandish uh, Pajon's band. Yeah. We found a lot of new listeners in the 90s when um, I think like record collectors started to pay insane amounts yeah. for their, their albums. And then um, Pavement, the American group, talked a lot about Chad Grasso-Stenar and I think they went on tour with them. Yeah. Um, I wasn't aware of that pavement link to them, but when Hot Chip first started, before we were a five-piece band, when we were just at school, me and Joe played some gigs and we were covering pavement, actually, um, Range Life, in probably the first, first Hot Chip concert. I'd like to play you um, something that you and Joe would listen to when you met in school, and something that you played live quite recently. Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, which is 25 years old now. Right, yeah. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, it seems seems like only yesterday that I remember that video coming out. Um, I don't know about you, Al, but certainly me and Joe and, and maybe Owen too would read their magazine, Grand Royal magazine, um, and we would listen to their records. I remember... I remember first hearing the Beastie Boys when the first album came out because my oldest brother had licensed to ill and it was, you know, an exciting, irreverent sort of record um, kind of thing that parents disapproved of. Um, and then Paul's Boutique, I didn't hear until a little bit later, but everybody kind of ignored that one when it came out. Check Your Head was the one that I remember on MTV seeing the video for So What You Want. And, and liking that, and my brother had that record. And they seemed quite an interesting band to me that they'd gone from what they did at the beginning of their career, being so kind of confrontational and, and kind of silly, really, in lots of ways, to making a record like Check Your Head, which was much more of a kind of deep listen. And then when All Communication came out, Sabotage was, the I think, the first single, and, and the video was so, so uh, amusing, which I only recently realised... Adam Yauch had directed that and there was a nice story in the in the book about the Beastie Boys book where he where they all talk about the, the way in which that was filmed and um, the kind of ad hoc nature of making such a kind of successful video with no no real budget and just jumping in one of their own cars and filming everything themselves and doing all the stunts and um, that video was then an influence on this video for a song of mine called Suspicious of Me where Ed, Edwin... Uh, Edwin Burdis mm. directed a video for me and he said, I want it, I want it to have the kind of attitude and sh sort of uh, movement of sabotage video. So 
a few different things were making, I guess, making me think about the Beastie Boys again, um, playing a bit with Money Mark. Al and I have done some gigs with Money Mark before. And yeah, they were just so fresh in our memories, I suppose. And it just seemed like a fun thing to cover that. Yeah, cover to cover that sabotage. Yeah. I guess it works really well with the audience as well, because it's one of those it, it goes down well. tracks that people yeah. just go nuts to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, maybe it will help us go in a different direction for our next record. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like we finished a show and everyone was like, yeah, that was really cool. It was so good. We did that Beastie Boys song. And it's just like the people are most excited about a song that's not yours <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah kind of overshadows everything else into, to a certain extent but we just love playing it so much that I don't think we're gonna stop uh, this uh, next song is by John Cale it's called uh, Buffalo Ballet Was young and gay And thunderstorms Filled up the day The cattle roam Outside the town So, I mean, John Cale was, um, I don't know, like he's definitely um, one of my favorite artists um, and um, he's very prolific. And you kind of got to pick and choose a little bit with him sometimes, but um, but this song is um, yeah, it's definitely one of my favourites. And um, in this, in the way that John Cale likes to do, is is referencing a, quite an obscure um, event in uh, a place called Abilene, Texas, where um, uh, there was like a, sort of an uprising by some local workers uh, sort of immigrant workers in the sort of 1800s or something like this and and they was uh, violently put down by uh, the local soldiery um and you know i actually only found out about that story relatively recently i sort of just was listening to the song but um but i just sort of was thinking about that in relation to um you know sort of the, the way that Im- immigration is talked about in the current climate and this kind of thing so um But it's a is a very beautiful song in and of itself, and has some amazing um, sort of backing vocals, a, a very sort of gospel, sort of gentle gospel kind of um, kind of thing. And he's always been a big sort of gospel aficionado. Like the other record that I really like of of his that he did with with Brian Eno, um, uh, which is just called Wrong Way Up, and and that record it was them trying to write kind of gospel music as well. Um, and you know having a sort of slightly weird take on it but um but you know it's it, it's a it's a sort of seems to be quite a rich rich seam for him to sort of dig into and and, and put his his uh, mellifluous welsh tones over the top so yeah I usually think of him as this noisemaker from the Velvet Underground, but he was res- responsible for the the avant-garde noise, whereas Lou Reed brought like the blues and pop, sure. pop songs. But yeah. this is very, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 did like there's a lot. There's another his record that he does um, with this band Little Feet uh, as his backing band, um, 
Little and, feet like the blues. Band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and so there's the, he definitely has this other string to his bow, just like doing you know, kind of more sort of um, yeah, classic kind of almost just like bluesy kind of stuff. So maybe that was his little kind of uh, riposte to always being thought of as yeah the noisy guy. <laughs> Did either of you ever hear those nice uh, demo versions of the first Velvet Underground record where? It's John Cale singing Venus in Furs and he's just playing an acoustic guitar and it sounds like a very sweet sort of folk song. I mean, it's still quite, uh, there's still a kind of slightly haunting aspect to it, which, you know, predates the, the, the gothic sort of quality of the finished version. But but it's, yeah, it's a very gentle sort of um, finger picking right. no, version. It's, it's really like lovely. Yeah. I love the records he produced for Nico. Yeah, like, the Marble uh, Index is great. Yeah, the Marble Index. Speaking of producers, you've worked with um, producers from outside the band for the first time on this record. Yeah. That hasn't happened before. A lot of production work was done by us already too. So we didn't really pick these producers and then say, now we'll go into a studio with no ideas and no songs and we'll start to write things and you'll help us to create everything from the ground up but rather we went in with songs we'd worked hard on that we'd demoed and recorded and taken care over in the way that we would have any on any other hot chip record so I feel like um, we were because we've been the producers of our own music up to now we weren't quite willing to let go of that completely and that's that's why it's more of a co-production with them. I think it's actually helped to bring out the kind of essence of what what's best about hot chip music and I think their input is really important to that and maybe maybe it's helped to kind of streamline things a little bit and not let things get too um, wayward. But it's still a lot of it to do with us as well. Maybe you could ask Phil Spector... You know, if they would let you inside the prison... Yeah, mm -hmm. to go only where that band Star yeah. Sailor have gone recently. Oh, yeah, Star Sailor. Uh, people always forget about that, <laughs> those songs. The, the, the last songs that he ever produced, except for the ones that he made for his wife, I think. Star Sailor, the British band. But they, they haven't really talked about it, have they? I wonder why. <laughs> I met somebody, Al knows him as well, Justin Strauss, who's a New York producer and DJ who actually went to Phil Spector's house um, with the Ramones back in, I guess, would have been late 70s when when there was that Ramones record produced by yeah, and Phil Yeah, end of the century. Yeah, which is a fantastic record. Um, and he had some pretty amazing, wild stories about, about going back to Phil Spector's house. Well, according to legend, Phil Spector wouldn't let the band members leave the house, so he pulled the gun on them. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Um, and also he wouldn't let the Ramones members play whatsoever, so it's basically yeah. just Joey Ramone singing yeah. with an orchestra in the background. Yeah. yeah, I think all of them, except if I'm telling the story or remembering it correctly, I think all of them were chucked out except for Justin Strauss and maybe... Joey, well, maybe it was no Ramones left and just him and some other people back at Phil Spector's house. But yeah, the the gun coming out, you know, you couldn't really make it up, could you? It's part of, seems to be part of every terrifying Phil Spector story about working with musicians. But you've never pulled the gun on anyone in the band? There's never been one lying around. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, had it been there on certain occasions, you know, might, might have come out to play. Who knows? Who knows? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I, I fired a gun for the first time. <laughs> In the studio? Uh, it was about uh, two years ago or three years ago. Um, I was in uh, Texas and uh, the uh, tour manager that we were with at the time found out that, that I'd never fired a gun and um, was quite keen for me to try this out. Um, so we went down to a, a gun range and... Um, uh, in order to get a gun in Texas, like um, or just to shoot one in a range, you have to sign your name on a on a piece of paper, not a form, by the way, just a piece of paper, and give it to the guy, and then he, and then he hands you a loaded. Um, so you don't uh, like you don't a, need like to AK show 47. no ID or anything. I think one person has to show ID. Maybe like I think the per, like the lead person or whatever. Maybe the lead gunfire. The lead. The, the, the lead. Yeah, lead gunfire. I don't know. I don't know the technical terms. <laughs> Sorry, um, the sh- but the, the shooter. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm 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 very anti-gun, and I'm like, uh, but I'm glad that I did it once. I don't need to do it again. Um, so what kind of gun did you try? I, f- I fired an AK-47, assault really? rifle. Yeah, they just give you one. They give you an AK-47, no questions asked. Uh, and, I've only um, fired a Glock. And a, you know, well, there you go. I also fired you, one you, of those. You don't, you don't get AK-47s in Sweden. No. So so how, what was your situation with firing a pistol? I, I was interviewing a rapper who really loved um, Glocks. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it felt right, felt like the thing to do at that point. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of a thing going on with Killer Mike right now where he's sort of facing a lot of flack for his gun support or whatever. It's it's a strange it's just a, such an alien thing to to British people really like, you know. That was I think that was part of the thing that was so surprising to to them like, you know, the fact that you have never even held this object or whatever. They find that very hard to yeah, I, I went to a friend's house in um, Joshua Tree, California, the other day, and 
uh, got back quite late after a gig that Hot Chip had played, and I still was surprised just to come in the front door and just see see a gun by the by the door. Um, I know it's very. Oh, it's always by the door, isn't it? It's very yeah, yeah. kind of common, isn't it, for people to have it in the yeah. states? Yeah, yeah. And if you were to say, well, "How come you've got a gun there?" Like, well, I, just, I don't know who's going to come by in the middle. I of... I like to have an accident that's waiting to happen. <laughs> just that's what I like to have around, you know. The just the the yeah, it's it's a strange one. Um, it's almost but, a, yeah. this like f- fetish sexual thing in a way, you know. But it's. I think that might could be part of it. I don't. I don't really know. I just. I just think it's just too much. Too much, too much of a sort of alien culture. That, I mean, that was like. I mean, I don't know whether I'm like justified in thinking that way, but that was part of the reason for me to try it because it's like, well, at least I've got the experience to to talk about it now because I've experienced that or whatever. Anyway, glad that glad that the that, <laughs> that it all went okay. No one got hurt. I built a wall. So high no one could reach A life of lugs Here's a song that you wrote for Katy Perry's latest album. It's called Into Me You See. And it, it kind of sounds a bit like some of the songs on your solo album, Piano, Yeah, Alexis. Yeah. I, I, I was surprised that this was... Like the song that she would ask you for, because lots of people, you know, when they think of Hot Chip, they think of like great dance tracks. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, this is a piano ballad. We worked. Joe and I worked with her on two or three tracks over a four-day period in in Air Studios in London, um, and we we wrote maybe eight ideas before getting to the studio with her, and the one that made it onto the record surprised me as much as anybody else that that was what she was interested in doing with Hot Chip so there was a demo version of that song or or something similar to that song which had drum programming um, was still a ballad but it was much more Hot Chip sounding in its production Um, and there was another track that we worked on with her which in the end we took and turned into the song Spell on our new album, um, which doesn't have any of you know, it doesn't have any of the work that, that Katie contributed to the version we had worked on with her. But this one, um, we didn't know even after we'd done the sessions whether it would be on the record or not. And she took what we had co-written with her, and we'd recorded with a very nice piano there, and we'd we had all this production that Joe had done. And, um, actually, the finished version still features the songwriting from us, but it's a new production where she replaced the piano with um, a much cheaper piano. Yeah, with like a, a, a plug-in of a piano. Didn't <laughs> even in the studio there was a bit of a lack of interest in setting up mics and recording Is that a real really? a real piano. She, she she just not her personally, but I think that in her camp it was a bit confusing as an idea that we would even need to go into that big room over there where there's a piano and set mics up. But it was it was a really interesting experience working with her. We um you know, we actually sat around that piano and wrote that song together and except for the parts that Joe and I had written in advance. Um and I really I really like it. It's it's not her most well known 
track, but I find it. I've, I'm a bit of a sucker for those kind of um, kind of uh, those kind of ballads, and and to hear somebody else with a good voice singing a song that I had some part in writing is quite is quite nice, rather than the way that I would have put that song out. You just used the word the, the camp around her. What's it like to you know work with someone who has a camp? Is <laughs> that that's someone something that you get when you're a really really big superstar? Like you have you have a camp around you. Well, to be fair to Katie, she didn't have a huge number of people with her. She had um, a co-writing um, songwriter. Um, she had an engineer who just records her voice, um, and then she had somebody from her record label there but she was never in the room when we were recording and she had somebody who drove her to the studio so it wasn't like and a, drove her back as well no she got the tube back <laughs> um, uh, there wasn't too much kind of pomp around it it was it was uh it was a pretty relaxed affair and um her luggage had not arrived from from the airport so she was in the same clothes every day she was fine with looking a bit more dressed down you know mm. I, I once spoke to um, James Murphy from um, LCD Sound System about when him and Tim Goldsworthy were supposed to collaborate with, uh, with Britney. Brit Britney Spears yeah. they were asked to you know meet her and they w just wanted to play her songs to see what she was into and the record company said no write hits <laughs> that was like the only so they they played her a few things and then she left for lunch and never came never back. Never came back, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember them telling me that story as well and and Tim was talking about it just the other day. Um it would have been interesting to hear how that turned out. I think they would have done something really good together. Oh yeah. That would have been good. Now we're listening to Jamie Principal's Bad Boy. So is this Frankie Knuckles or Jamie Principal, or is it Frankie Knuckles featuring This is like the, this particular version is a sort of slightly longer version re-edit by Frankie Knuckles, but yeah, I mean, the, the, it's both of them together. The, the old school house artist. Yeah, you know, I was just wanted to sort of pick something that was of a slightly different ilk to the previous two tracks and... Um, you know, still, we've been talking a little bit about that whole kind of uh, sort of line of um, sort of spiritual music, and I think this also kind of has that vibe, but from a different uh, sort of direction or whatever. And um, the sound of this is is very, I don't know. I sort of like think about that, that just sort of how quite, quite how sort of poppy it is as well. It's like it's got really sort of good hooks to it. It's got like it's a it's a sort of um, it's a song as well as a, a groove, you know. I know you're looking for pleasure. Your reasons are understood. Well, you might call me free. Well, you might call me free. Oh, but when you're looking for pleasure, it's me you want 
know those Jamie Principal tracks remind me of like his voice is so so good in a, in a similar way to Prince and I always think that Prince failed to make kind of house music yeah. good good versions of house music he didn't maybe he didn't really get into that sound and it's not a criticism but I always wish those two had like collaborated oh my God, that would have been incredible yeah, yeah. I love how, how the beats are so rough and like unpolished yeah mm-hmm. and if you yeah. compare this to modern dance music which is often quite you know crystal clear yeah this is uh, you know it really sounds like it was recorded in the basement somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. there is definitely that element to lots of fantastic older sort of Chicago house records and a kind of rudimentary element to how, how they're produced just in terms of only having a few elements of sound in the mix or maybe having uh, the vocals sometimes from Jamie Principal can be quite kind of breathy or like not too slick sounding and yeah. it's exciting. Well, they kind of hang together sonically in a different way to me. Like, I, I yeah, it's very, it's always frustrating to me to not, be able to necessarily play some of these tracks out in a modern um, sort of like you know dance floor situation because they you know they sort of sound like quote unquote weaker. But I think that if you listen to them, you know if it if you if you were in a, the context of listening to a lot of that music altogether, there's a kind of um, there's a kind of blend to it. I think it's a lot to do with like mixing to tape and and things like that. That kind of um, that is actually almost sort of more pleasing yeah. to me in in some ways than those like modern productions where where the, there's there's almost like too much kind of um, you can discern too clearly all the different component parts of the song and it doesn't it doesn't quite have this kind of unity to it. I always play those tracks though, but I, I definitely know what you mean that they can sound a bit less impactful. Yeah, when next to other modern records, but I, I just try and. But I guess I play a lot of things from that era, so they're not always. Just, yeah, and it's the sound. I mean, yeah, this is from 1987, right? It's yeah, yeah, pre- pretty. It's 32 years old, but One yeah, way. I mean, yeah. it's they can still sound so modern. Some of those records, and I'm just turned on, turned on by them and excited by them. But there is something a little bit strange about only loving things from <laughs> that yeah. sound modern that are from the past. But I just think they're great records. The love for old house music like this is probably one of the things that connect Hot Chip to LCD Sound System, and you're in both those bands, Al. Yeah. How do you do? You sometimes like get them mixed up, or you know, have <laughs> ideas from one group float into the I'll other. I'll tell you what, I've never got them mixed up. That is one thing I can say. Even um, though James and I are so similar. In they, uh, yeah, there's never confusion on that part. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange. Like the, the last sort of, um, sort of six to nine months of, of getting back together with, with Hot Chip and playing with this group of people has been very different and very kind of exciting and, um, you know, has taken like an adjustment sort of psychologically in, in some ways. Um, but now I'm very much in this mode. Um, so I would find it probably very difficult to go you know, to suddenly play an LCD show now as well. Um, but that's all kind of, you know, it's all kind of more by accident than, than design, really. It's just that the the two bands have kind of happened to have sort of flip-flopped, uh, you know, while one band has got an album out, the other one hasn't for the most part. Um, so, yeah, I've just been been lucky that it, that it turned out that way, you know. How would you compare, like, you know, how, how things are created within those two bands? Or, are they... 
Is one less democratic than the other, or is it? Yeah, the LCD is less democratic than. But you, than, but you than still, hardship. you know, write songs. Yeah, on the, well. on the last record, I was writing more um, than than in sort of previous times. The only other song that I worked on with James before that was um, "You Wanted a Hit" um, from that record, from uh, "This Is Happening," and uh, and then we worked on some soundtrack stuff together for. Um, this movie Greenberg and that was kind of it. So I, I, I didn't really know how those sessions were going to go. And it wasn't really that we were even supposed to be kind of working in that way. It's just that I happened to be in the studio a lot because we was working in, in me and Felix's studio in London. And then I was over in, in New York for, for other reasons. And, and so we ended up sort of just being in the same place at the same time. And so, yeah, that's how that, that's how that worked out. Did you read this book called um, Meet Me in the Bathroom? By yes, I did. I read. I read. Yeah, I read bits of it. They, they have this story about how, how James Murphy is, you know, quite, you know, unsure of himself in the beginning of his career, and then grows more and more confident. Yeah. Until he's so confident that he that he decides just to eat the whole world, isn't it? Like a yeah, sandwich. Yeah, he, he kind like, of decides yeah. that I can do anything, and th then he starts deciding where his uh, friends should go and get their their haircut. Yeah, he's you got know, a lot of advice. He he's got a lot, he's got a lot of big becomes ideas. Becomes a super alpha male. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he has, he has, he, yeah, he's got things he wants to tell you. He's got some, he's got some, he's got some ideas up his sleeve. Uh, he hasn't told me where to get my hair cut because, um, and this is a weird thing that he would even say that because he doesn't go to anywhere to get his hair cut. He cuts his own hair, and I actually uh, did he cut, cut my your own hair? hair. No, no, I cut my own hair as well. Oh, and it's supposed to be that only you know, <laughs> pretty strange people cut their own hair, but. Um, but it was something that we shared for a little while. I, I've actually since started to treat myself to a, a professional hairdresser. Um, and, also, uh, I, th I think they claim that he decided which shrink his friends should go see. Well, that is also true. There was a uh, there was a, um, a therapist that he that he really liked, and that was also the therapist for for Nancy and and Pat, I believe. Um, oh, but I, whether he like sort of said, you, you guys should go see this guy. I don't know if that's really the case. I think it's just the way that close groups of friends kind of recommend things to each other. And I think it was and much he, more and than he, that. he went to therapy for like decades. Yeah. Apparently un until he, according to the book, I just love this expression. The book claims that he, he through going to, like by going to, to psychotherapy for so long, he developed psychological weapons of mass destruction. Right. Yeah, he that's he was so mentally powerful that he could... You're really making, making him sound like a complete sociopath, but uh, that's, yeah. I mean, I think Americans go to therapy a lot more than, uh, it's not so much of a big deal, especially if you're like in, in New York, like everybody goes to therapy. Um, like in the UK, um, we, uh, we bottle things up and, uh, and then suffer for it. And that's why sort of national mental health emergency is occurring right now to a certain extent. But yeah, it's, it's not so much of a, a thing, I don't think, culturally. Do you think that the best music is made when you're really, you know, thinking about what you're doing or, or when you're more like not really knowing what you're up to? You know, how, I think how, you how, need uh, to have a balance of both ways of using your mind when you're making music, or at least that's how it is for me. It's not meant to be didactic for other people, but um, I think that a lot of good things require um, some focus and really working hard at something and, and considering what you're doing, but also to be free to just improvise or to 
tap into something a bit more unconscious is very important for me and I think for Hot Chip too. Um, it's something that I mentioned in the kind of description of this album making process, talking about not really discussing things, not verbalizing things so much and more just getting on with music making, contributing something to the track that everyone's working on um, without too much analysis of what it is you're about to do or what it is that you're contributing to. Um, But I also think that that might just be quite peculiar to our working methods you know I, we we all work together um but the beginning of the relationship was joe and i making music together and perhaps we both just didn't talk to each other that much about what we were trying to say musically we talked about other things when we weren't recording and we talked about what we wanted our career to be like or what records we loved but we weren't always that open about things emotionally we were just using the the studio to to make music and working in an intuitive way, and I think that relationship has kind of carried on being like that now for for years to the point where if I work with other musicians outside of hot chip, sometimes people are a little bit more explicit about discussing what the plan is or what they think about something or how it sounds or how it affects them, and in hot chip, maybe it's not really like that. I mean, that question, though, like about whether you're sort of thinking about it, it's, it's sort of something that's relevant to kind of any craft or art that you've been doing for a long time. I mean, I think that like when you've been doing, when you've like built up a skill to over a number of years, you go in and you're able to kind of like execute that skill. It's always tends to be done on a quite a subconscious level. You know, you're not think you're not thinking about, what it is you're doing you're just applying this kind of body of knowledge to to the sort of task in hand and then afterwards you can maybe analyze what the what the technical aspects of of that might be but you know the the initial thing is is usually quite you know sort of quite unthinking and that's you know when sort of the best things kind of flow you know a lot of people talk about that kind of idea of flow or whatever i mean we and also we were talking about dreaming again before like sometimes there'll, there'll be a song or or some kind of sort of situation that's problematic you go and you sleep and you get up the next day and suddenly this sort of situation presents it though the the solution presents itself and or you go and you take a walk and you you know clear your head and think about something completely different come back and whatever is happening in the background in your brain allows you to kind of uh readdress it and that definitely seems to be the case for us as well i think i started thinking about that when i read something that you said alexis that that you enjoyed uh, the music that your cat would make when it stepped on on the piano keys yeah in, in the morning to to wake you up yeah <laughs> that something so random could you know be interesting obviously there's a bit of kind of novelty um attached to enjoying the sound of the cat playing the piano. Um, it, also, it was just the fact that the notes there that you would go to wouldn't, you know, he's not trying to make music as far as I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the notes would be an, uh, just an interesting cluster of notes in a particular order. If you remembered it, if you got to the piano quickly enough, it could lead to melodic ideas 
or chord progression. You know, that sounds pretentious and silly, but if you're interested in making music, sometimes it's those little surprising sonic moments that that can lead to something that you would not normally do. So I just, yeah, I really enjoyed the sounds he was making. A friend of mine stayed in our house and and cat sat for us and didn't know that this would happen. And I hadn't told him, I'd forgotten all about it because I was so used to it. And he he texted me to say, you didn't warn me that your cat would play horror chords in the night. So he was like totally terrified. Oh my God. Because he just didn't know where the sound was coming from. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, beauty yeah, it's, is it's, in the... It's a cat that's kind of into, uh, yeah, into sort of like, yeah, scream, screamadelic sort of horror. <laughs> You know, speaking of uh, cats playing horror chords, I'd like to play something by a band called Hate's Beak. They're um, a death metal band from Baltimore fronted by a parrot named Waldo. Okay. (laughs) Ain't no doubt in my mind, partner. I guess they used a lot of effects on, on the vocals of, of the parrot Waldo, but but it, it sounds you know really yeah. gr- gruesome, you know. Yeah, it sounds like a sort of screamo. I, I've got this one friend in, in in New York who was in this. I didn't even know this genre existed, but yeah, screamo. It's like a kind of um, American kind of punk kind of subgenre, and he was in this band called Orchid. And um, when I listen to their music, it just seems so weird to me because, like, I, I just sort of know him as this guy who's like in, you know, sort of my age now, and and then yeah, has sort of vocals not a million miles from that, just very kind of like just overt screaming, just like kind of long dark night of the soul kind of stuff. It's uh, it's strange stuff. This song was called Beak of Putrefaction. It's from the album The Number of the Beak. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, this is like when somebody like rings and then sort of says that they prefer their early stuff, right? Like, like <laughs> before they sold out. <laughs> so commercial sounding, man. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When I was at university, um, a friend of mine called Baz was uh, in a great kind of death metal band called Vaisolis. And um, he's a very softly spoken guy who was studying studying medicine at Cambridge. And then he would go on stage and he'd be, the, you know, be in a band that sounded amazing, but very kind of, um, yeah, that, that kind of like aggressive singing and... I opened for their band once at the Man on the Moon pub in Cambridge and we all seemed to think it was a good idea for an acoustic guitar singer-songwriter, Alexis Taylor, to open for Vice Hollis. Um, the audience members didn't seem to mind that there was this sort of massive shift in music, but there was one there was one person who, who was um, in the room who tried to pick up monitors and throw them at people and tried to knock over speakers. Um, well, was, while you were playing? Yeah. Oh, while, wow. While my kind of gentle acoustic set was going on. He wasn't throwing them at me. He was just, I would say, out of his mind would right. be the expression. Okay, so you, it wasn't that he was like sort of trying to get into it? Like he No, was like, it was just really oh, okay. disruptive and, yeah. and crazy. Um, we also but, had that thing where we opened, or not opened for, but like played, played with yeah, yeah. Canate, you know, this band. Like, I'll tell you now who, who they they're kind of like a, not a million I'm sure they would probably not like this but they're not a million miles away from the sound of like Sun O or something oh. like that it's kind of like very heavy super heavy like hitting a chord like but awesome like I mean incredible like we hadn't sort of listened to that kind of style of music before but really enjoyed it but it was like was that for Wire magazine? Maybe? It was for The Wire, yeah, in the yeah. Chicago oh. Empty Bottle. Venue. Yeah, yeah. The, the Wire music. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I guess so. But you know, and it was Phil Niblock. That's right. On the same bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, it's it's one of those sort of things that I feel as though I probably could enjoy, but maybe sort of slightly missed the boat in some in terms of it not being something that I was into when I was a lot younger. Um, so I find it quite. It would take a little bit of an effort of will, I think, to get into it now. But but you will hopefully explore it on the next uh, metalcore right. album by Hotchip. That's right. Yeah, I'm gonna get my uh, yeah, I'm gonna get my drop D chops, get going, and it's a lot a lot of downstrokes. And I'm gonna right hand. get our cat Puddy to um, yeah, compete it. with the parrot. <laughs> Hey Frederick, this has been really nice. It's been nice talking to you, but as you know, all good things come to an end, and and we we have to go. But it's been, but thank you very much for having us in your in your beautiful home. Thank you. It's been really nice. This was great. Thank you so much, and take care. Bye.